Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, I don't have time to make a joke, but here he is. It's Daniel Feingold once again, everyone. Welcome, Daniel. We are riding the bullet train through Atlanta. It's coming fast. You can't stop it. I guess I maybe uh, should have done a bullet train post, but I'm just I'm just too distracted by. We have a lot to talk about today. Um, first of all, maybe sorry surprisingly, for, yeah, sorry for the like kind of late episode, everyone. I have been on vacation and came back from a vacation, and there is there is a lot for us to discuss. I think the biggest thing that's kind of happened in the last 48 hours um, to the point where we're recording has been all this drama around. HBO Max and around the Batgirl movie that I guess was in development. Um, I guess I stop me if I'm like miss a point, but I'm going to try my best to kind of like do the Wikipedia summary of everything that's happened in the last kind of like 48 hours. So on Tuesday, there was basically an announcement from Warner media that the Batgirl movie that was going to be going straight to HBO Max um, and starred Leslie Grace from In the Heights as the titular character, as well as I believe had uh, Michael Keaton reprising his role as Batman and Brendan Fraser, I think I saw was going to be the villain. Um, A movie that was put in production by the sort of previous regime at Warner Media and DC back when they were owned by AT&T. Obviously, that company is now owned by Discovery, and Discovery has been going through and making a lot of changes. Um, And so they basically made this kind of like jaw-dropping announcement yesterday that the movie was not only not going to HBO Max, but was not going to be released, period. Neither in theaters, neither in HBO Max. It's just done, like forever. You're not going to see it. Um, We can maybe discuss whether or not that is actually true. But um, then today, uh, some more reporting, largely from Variety and IndieWire, kind of revealed that a lot of the decision behind this had somewhat to do with with, uh, the initial kind of like reasoning that it it seemed that the the folks at WarnerMedia kind of gave was just a, a change in direction. It seems they no longer really want to be kind of like putting tons of content into production to sort of fill up the the library of HBO Max um, and that this just sort of didn't make sense. There was also, a, I believe, a Scooby-Doo animated movie that was also permanently canned. Um, but today, uh, some additional reporting, like I said, from sort of Variety and IndieWare indicated that a lot of the reason for the Batgirl movie being shut down was uh, a tax write-off and basically kind of Warner Media deciding that you know I, you've seen the movie The Producers, right? Or or are familiar with the musical The Producers? Yes, and there I've already seen a meme. Uh, yes, <laughs> kind of satirizing this whole situation using The Producers. Yes, but basically, so basically, if you've ever seen the the Mel Brooks comedy musical The Producers, um, a similar kind of thing it seems sort of happened of like Warner Media basically deciding like for all the additional money that it would take to finish this Batgirl movie of which it sound I've heard varying reports about how done it actually was 
they're more guaranteed to sort of make back their profits on the movie uh, by just having it as a tax write-off as opposed to pumping the extra money to put it into theaters. Um, they It sounds like felt very unconfident about its chances in theaters and did not really feel like putting the extra money into it to go on HBO Max and, you know, streaming stuff doesn't really make money. It's about all subscribers. And then now there's been additional stories coming out today about how uh, Warner Media is has been removing HBO Max original movies mo- that were sort of made under the previous regime and uh, to go straight to that streaming service during the pandemic and kind of fill it out. And now some of that stuff is being taken off and shelved for, you know, for the time being, we don't know what will happen to that stuff. And it's sounding like this is part of a larger corporate strategy to sort of pull away from making content specifically for that streaming service, just have HBO and discovery plus as like the television wing to fill that out and to just be pumping money into kind of big theatrical movies. Um, did I miss anything key, Daniel? Cause I want to get your kind of thoughts on like, I tried my best to summarize the large bubble of all of this. And there's a lot for us to kind of potentially talk about with this, but I'm, I'm just curious, like what your initial takeaways were of this sort of like endless flood of news about like what's apparently been happening behind the scenes at HBO max and Warner media and what the sort of like at this point, I mean, it could it could change tomorrow, but at this point, kind of permanent cancellation of this superhero tentpole movie that it seems like has kind of sent shockwaves through the industry. Well, it seems now it's being reported that there are layoffs to go with this. So yes. people are also just outright losing their jobs with this change of direction. Um yeah, I, I, it's it's my understanding that Batgirl was supposed to be like specifically an HBO Max release. Yes, and so I I would understand if this thing had not already gone into production. Again, they are the one. You know, uh, there are people who are much smarter and much more savvy with money mm-hmm. and how that all works. But it seems like it was mostly done, but not all the way there. So they were going to still have to spend a little bit of money to to get it across the finish line and then the additional money to publicize it, um, which congrats, you kind of already did. That's taken care of. Now everyone knows about this movie or is reminded of this movie. So I do wonder if this, like the kind of, I don't know how much blowback they've gotten from it. I, I do know that a lot of people, at least like film Twitter is talking about it. Um, so that kind of takes care of the publicity for them. Um, I would be, uh, as much as I want to say like, oh, the publicity now and everyone talking about it is going to make them more inclined to actually release it. But this is not the same regime that released the Snyder Cut. So I don't know. I have faith that maybe we will see it somewhere, someday, in some form. Might it be fin- not be finished? Just like, just visual effects missing? Possibly. I, I saw someone suggest that like, we're just going to see this thing on YouTube in like five years. Um, just not finished. Um, larger larger picture, I, I, I guess like, 
it's it's one of those things where it's like surprising but not shocking or shocking but not surprising where it's regime change. These people, you know, want to do their own thing. This seems a little bit more extreme. Like, I'm just going to rid everything that the person before me did. And it was some of the moves that the previous regime made, kind of the bold choices to release some big theatrical movies on HBO Max that made HBO Max into a success. So it's almost like a slap in the face to be like, now, no, we are, we are not going to put these resources into HBO Max. We are going to pull these movies yeah, I mean, should 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 clarify of like of like this doesn't mean that like Dune or like the Warner Brothers theatrical movies are are getting kind of taken off. It's it's stuff like um, American Pickle, the Seth Rogen uh, comedy that came out during the pandemic, or um, there there was one with Lana Condor and I think like one of the the Zach and Cody boys the witches and hathaway yeah right the robert zemeckis's remake of the witches that's getting t- taken off um well, like, you know- why would you do that like why why <laughs> how does that benefit you to to remove content that you already like i what is what is the end game there how that's, does that benefit you that's what i've been sort of confused by i mean my my kind of three big takeaways i think this first one that we're hinting at is a, a potentially i think scary industry thing of like this setting a precedent for corporations playing you know as these kind of studios and media conglomerates get bounced from corporation to corporation you know someone just coming in and being like i'm going to erase the content of the previous owners if that makes sense and you know their film preservation is is a big part of of movie culture um and you know Josh Martin, who's been on the show before, I think in the text thread I was in with him, mentioned this is potentially like a scary precedent of movies during this sort of period of this sort of streaming age potentially getting lost because the the they belong to a a previous uh era of the company and the sort of new owners want to just sort of like push them aside and not just sort of like you know you you and some of these movies like they've only existed in streaming i think that was kind of the other takeaway for me is it's not like a movie not being on a streaming service or like going out of circulation on like blu-ray or something but you can still find like a dvd version of it and there's still obviously like film prints that can go around and people can evangelize for it but this idea of this fear that i feel like has kind of been percolating through this sort of streaming age of like how easy would it be for someone just to kind of like erase some of this stuff and pretend it doesn't exist um, and how much control do these companies have for stuff like that? And how much are they not really in the business of building a a history and a library of cinema? And and that says nothing for the quality of the movie. I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about like something needs to be preserved more than another. Um, we're talking about you know works that people have put hours of time and money in. 
um, and blood, sweat, and tears and, and have a certain value, now this this potentially opens up, I think, a scary situation. Um, and it, you know, the larger kind of move away from HBO Max struck me in pairing with like the Netflix stuff that happened this year. And maybe this idea of like a couple years ago where we were thinking, all right, everything's just going to go to streaming one one day. And I think that coupled with kind of the return of the box office this year, this is maybe an indicator that like that was that was maybe poor thinking. And I, I, I would be curious when we get ideas on like the numbers for this quarter for Warner Media, like whether or not there's any explanation for like none of these titles we were putting on HBO Max were really getting that much attention and whether it becomes the similar thing to kind of the Netflix bubble that sort of burst earlier this year of, yeah, maybe the idea of just sort of like pumping out content constantly to fill up a streaming service, whether that's a, a business strategy that Hollywood leaned into in the last few years that now the bubble is bursting for that. And maybe that's not like a good long-term strategy. Um, and as far as the Batgirl news, it's it's just like unprecedented. I mean, like you said, the idea of if this was a movie that was in production and or w- was like a date on a calendar and then they decided, no, we kind of want to push back and not do this anymore. That'd be one thing. But the idea that this is a movie that is at least mostly complete. Like I said, there's been some discrepancies, I think, in some of the reporting and what the filmmakers behind it have said online about how finished it actually was. But another potentially kind of like shocking, maybe dangerous uh, door that's been open is the idea that a studio could essentially, if it has no faith in a movie that is already pretty much complete, could just say like, you know what? screw everyone that worked on this we can essentially just like do a financial loophole and ride this off for a tax credit and we can cut our losses and not have to actually put this thing out into the world that's that's a potentially scary situation that this could open yeah i did i i think like to not lose sight of that human element, like all the people who were as much as it, as much as it may suck for fans of Batgirl, that character of the people involved in this movie or the Scoob movie, the, the sequel. Imagine what it is like to have just worked on these movies specifically. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how far along Scoob was, but yeah, Batgirl especially either. and Leslie Grace I'm sure she'll be okay. I'm sure she's still going to have a great career, but this was a big deal. It, right. And people behind the scenes, people who just made a movie that is, as far as we know, mostly done. Mm-hmm. And now it's just being scrapped. Like, as again, as, as much as we are talking about it and film Twitter is kind of talking about it, and oh, this is unfortunate, or what does it say about Warner Media? Imagine how it must be to 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 be a person who even even you don't have to be first build like anyone who worked on this movie. It's like what a wa- like what a waste, and you right. what do you get for, from it? And yeah, it's it's it is a scary precedent, and 
I don't know, because again, like, we got the Snyder cut, which, if you want to go down that rabbit hole of, like, the bots and people, right. the not pe- not real people who were behind some of that, but there were obviously actual people who really wanted to see Zack Snyder's movie. This is a different regime now, so I don't know the amount of, like, backlash or attention that this story gets if it really makes any difference to this current regime. Um this is the same regime, right? That immediately cut bait with CNN plus. Yeah. And now we have this. So this is obviously just like, as anything is in, in the corporate world driven by money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it just mind boggling that again, like same also an HBO production, the game of Thrones, one of the game of Thrones spinoff or sequels or whatever it was going to be starring Naomi Watts. They shot, a a um a pilot Mm -hmm. and they were like this is not the direction we want to go in this just this doesn't like totally work that is not the same as no 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 almost finished like that would be like if they just had a season of game of thrones waiting and they were like never mind yes we're just not going to do this because it's maybe it makes more sense financially for us to just like write it off on tax like what so and and when you consider the movies, the specifically the the DC extended universe, the movies that they have given us, and so they're not saying anything about like, oh, this is just not the quality we're looking for. It has it has nothing to do with that. I'm not saying like go back in time and unrelease movies from the DC extended universe that I don't like, but you again different regime, so not the same standard. But again. The, like, do we did we need Justice League? Like, was that you know? Like, yeah, let us, I think just 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 release Batgirl. I don't yeah. want. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do the hashtag release the Batgirl cut or whatever is going to be trending this week. But this is it's weird. It's very bizarre. Yeah, I think the one maybe difference, you know, in like some of the other DC stuff is that having a lot more money funneled into it. You know, like there's there's obviously been um, comparisons, I think, to like, you know, there's all this drama. This other potential like firestorm that they have brewing is this Flash movie now that Ezra Miller is like this globetrotting criminal (laughs) at this point, the star of. But, you know, the comparison there being like that almost being a movie that like there is so much money poured into that is that like. The Batgirl movie, it seems, did go over budget due to COVID and having to to start and stop. But being made um, for a for a more television experience as opposed to having the like hundreds of millions of dollars for a big theatrical movie, um, and so I think that's maybe the what sort of made them pick this project is like. Well, we're abandoning the HBO Max strategy, and this isn't really a movie that we design. You know, this is not me justifying it because I, you know, we're both on the same page of this is really terrible news for everyone who worked on that movie. But the the backdoor corporate thinking seems to be like, you know, we haven't invested so much money into into this that like this is going to be an automatic big blockbuster for us that we like have to push to the finish line. 
but we'll have to pour even more money into it and it's less likely or they feel it was less likely to take off in a theatrical model and so now we're just saying well let's just cut our losses either way it it's 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 just wild but i i think the idea of that this was a movie that was sort of like made for a streaming experience and and did not have maybe like the insane budget of something maybe like i guess what i'm getting at is like i wonder if a movie like the flash movie that people keep saying like well why does that get to go forward because Ezra Miller has like all these criminal allegations against him maybe that movie is like in a too big to fail sort of position for this studio because of how much money has been put into it it's just like a wild example of the kind of corporate greed that goes on in the entertainment world and the the idea of like a certain level of people running an entertainment studio where it's it's all about dollars and cents and big and running it in as like ruthless a way as possible it's also a story like the more you read or the more that's reported it, the less it makes sense or the more yeah. confusing it is like it just it's more and more of a head scratcher because like when it first came out and you just kind of see the headline of like oh that girl that's unfortunate they didn't think it was very good or like it was just like I didn't know where it was in production mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe that was part of the problem where it's like, there wasn't any buzz around it or not enough for them. Yeah. There, like I said, there certainly is now, but it was kind of like, you just see the headline and it's like, Oh, okay. So this, this project isn't moving forward. Not unlike the Naomi Watts led game of Thrones spin. Right. And it's like, wait, no, actually it's mostly done. It has nothing to do with the quality. It's just about X, Y, and Z business decisions. And okay. And then, again, more comes out and the more comes out and it's like, wait, okay. They're like trying to like reverse course or course correct this HBO max situation, which is pretty widely like, I think would a lot of people would say if not their favorite, but like in their top three of streaming services. Yeah. And it's it, that kind of happened over the pandemic when we got a combination of original shows and a rich library of, old and newer stuff but then also these straight to hbo max releases maybe it helped them at the very beginning and it hasn't since then you mentioned you know let's see what their quarterly earnings are right um maybe maybe that will really tell us all we need to know yeah and and maybe it fits in with the the netflix thing too of them saying well if we're gonna dump money into film production let's do it for things that we know can rake up like actual dollars and cents in a theatrical model. Like that was part of the, the Netflix burst was like net net Netflix isn't generating revenue, but Laura like is is was leaning on the notion that like they would get everyone on the planet signed up for Netflix. And like that would keep the lights on at night. And then when that appeared to not be possible, like, you know, a movie don't look up or the gray man going to, it's not making money on Netflix. It just becomes an incentive for someone to sign up on Netflix. And so it seems like part of this decision is also kind of like an industry shift happening of like, so maybe we can't really make money or like, we can't really make insane dollars and cents off streaming stuff. And or original new right off of uh, right off of like, 
creating original content specifically for a streamer and maybe we need maybe thinking it's financially better to pump more of that money into big tin poles for a theatrical run at this point and that can get you dollars and cents quicker i don't know it's it's a really like fascinating media story that's obviously got this this just like tragic undercurrent to it um and i'm sure more and more will come out as the days go on um i don't know do you do you have kind of any final thoughts on it i don't i don't want to do too much sort of hypothesizing myself about like what the next stage of it is when it kind of seems to be changing so quickly but um it it, this has been like the biggest story in the the movie world for like the last it feels like the last couple months this this has been like one of the biggest seismic stories i i I just would say again not to hypothesize about the future too much but I I think just like the death of movie theaters was overstated, mm-hmm. maybe not um, not in not in any wrong way. We were in a pandemic, and it, it, those were bad times for movie theaters. So I'm not saying it wasn't without merit to be worried about the future of movies, but like the death of movie theaters did not happen. I don't think this is the death of streaming. I think it's always a good thing to let people see your movies in as big of a scale as possible. Yeah. And so I, I think this is a little bit of a knee jerk reaction, both from Netflix. And if there's, if Warner media is making these decisions because of what happened with Netflix, any kind of reverberations from Netflix, I think it's all maybe a little over course correcting. Yeah, and and just the idea of to 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 kind of close this out the the idea of let's just erase stuff that already is complete right. and exists. That's I mean I I I personally can't get behind that. That's that's insanity to me that you would just sort of like kick something to the curb. Seems bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. I guess before we transition, um, one last bit of news that's that's happened uh, since we've been on this mic. Um, we're going to TIFF on this show, um, and you're going to be there too. We're back. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot of Toronto International Film Festival coverage. I'm sure I'll have some other folks from Film Inquiry who are going to be there. Encourage everyone to check out the coverage. Um, we don't have to go too in depth because we have some actual new release movies to talk about, but I'm curious, Daniel, of the TIFF lineup that was announced last week, what, what kind of stuff is, is sort of top of your mind that you are like really eager to check out in, in this? Cause it feels like after a, you know, 2020 being what it was and last year it felt like Telluride and Venice kind of came back in full swing we obviously still don't know what the telluride lineup is venice of course has a very starry lineup of big kind of auteur projects like blonde and white noise and tar um and the luca guadagnino movie bones and all but um you know tiff it seems like had kind of like a weird stumbling year last year where there was some confusion about what was 
available on their online portal versus what did you have to actually be at the festival to see and there was obviously like a high amount of covid cases going around at la- that time so there was a lot less international travel people were especially were wanting to have here in the states um but hopefully it's seeming like this is going to be kind of like a return to normal a bit for for tiff so i i guess just tossing to you like what are there any titles in particular that you're sort of looking forward to at that particular festival since that's the one we're we're going to be at? I mean, our our lists kind of do overlap quite a bit. Yeah. Which which I guess is good, considering we'll we'll be seeing a lot of these movies together. Um or our schedules will be coinciding. Um some some titles here, you know, I'm very excited. Maybe this is sacrilege because it's not it's gonna be out on Netflix not that long after Tiff, but the Knives Out sequel. I wanna see it. Give me more Daniel Craig. Right. Onion. Give it to me. Sounds um, delightful. I can't yeah, wait. A <laughs> uh, couple The Woman King, Bros, Triangle of Sadness, which I say is like my memoir title, or you know, my apartment, call it the Triangle of Sadness. Um Empire of Light, The Whale. That's the Brendan Fraser one, right? Yeah, the Darren Aronofsky um, movie. Yeah, which will also be at at Venice, so I think we'll we'll kind of have a sense from that festival what the the sort of temperature is on on that movie at least. Um, Not seeing Brendan Fraser in Batgirl, but we will at least see him in his, I guess, own vehicle. Yes, in in his own film. Um, yeah, and the I'm, one I'm, I'm probably think- most excited for that was kind of like. I think the flashiest, most kind of like, oh, wow, announcement that they made was um, Steven Spielberg's new movie, The the Fablemans, which is kind of the, I, I don't know too much about it, but from what I understand is sort of like an autobiographical movie that's kind of his Roma. Basically, it's his experience growing up in Arizona suburbs and the divorce of his parents who are played by Michelle Williams and Paul Dano and anyone knows anything about steven spielberg he's been very open about how traumatizing and um impactful on him the divorce of his parents was so i i don't know i'm i sort of like kind of don't know what to expect for that movie but it it i'm here for like i secretly made all my movies about how this one moment traumatized me as a child and now i'm actually just going to make the movie about how that moment traumatized me so um i'm here for it um tiff should be fun this year very excited to to return to the city of Toronto, a lovely a lovely place. Yes, we should we should definitely get. Um, no, now now I'm forgetting the name. Um, the French fries with the cheese curds and the gravy. Some poutine. poutine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I got poutine when I went there for the first time, um, ever having poutine, and I instead of just like getting like a fast food version or just something mm-hmm. that's like you know. Like when you go to LA, you should get In and Out, not like right. a gourmet burger. Just get In and Out. I yeah. made the mistake. Well, it was good, but it just wasn't the right way of doing it. I got it from the hotel. Like, oh, like I got it take you know room service, delicious, but like not like authentic. Yes, you know poutine. So maybe that, maybe that we should call that the the, the poutine pod. Do you think that'd be offensive to the people of Toronto if we just called it instead of like the Tiff podcast? We just call it the poutine pod. Yeah, and we're probably not going to be the greatest judges of like what makes good poutine. Yeah, well, moving we're just, on, we're just, uh, we're just American. <laughs> we're just we're just two American dudes. Yeah. Um. So we got a couple new releases to talk about. Um. 
I think the biggest one that is coming out this weekend, it kind of feels like the last big movie of the summer. It, it, am I crazy for thinking that like August feels like this sort of this wasteland of, of nothing. There's like some small interesting releases, but like there's nothing. It feels like the summer movie season is over this kind of weird summer movie season where we only got kind of a big blockbuster every other week. And now it seems the final big blockbuster of the summer is just coming out the first week in August. And there you have it. And then like the rest of the month feels like this kind of like emptying ground of like some stuff from Sundance that I I hear is good kind of slowly starting to come out. And I guess we do get George Miller's new whatever it is movie at the very end of the month. But it feels like until September, basically. There's kind of not much coming out, and the big movie this weekend is Bullet Train, the the Brad Pitt action movie. Um, I don't know. I, I, we'll get into Bullet Train, but like, do you kind of have the same feeling of like, oh, this is this is kind of it for a while? Yeah, I guess this was either this weekend or this month was supposed to be when we were getting Black Adam, and obviously that is not coming out until right next year now. Um, uh, the the fall i believe then, okay so yeah, yeah i believe got, it's november pushback yeah 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 the rock love him um yeah so the, i i'm not there's always something to watch though yes in theaters but there's still more stuff coming out on streaming which again not the end of streaming still movies coming out prey is coming out this weekend Yes. But that's also the same weekend, like it's still early August. But so I point taken, it is weird that like Bullet Train is kind of the end of the line here for summer, and then we just wait for fall. Pun unintended. Pun I mean, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say it off the top. Like it's unavo- it's unavoidable to make because there's just so many, just there's just so many normal thing like normal sayings that could come off right. as a bullet train pun. Um like, I'm on board for the... I'm totally on board with this movie. Like, I didn't... I'm not doing that on purpose, guys. Like, it just... It it works. Um, so, yeah, it is a little weird. I feel like the, the first half of the year, especially, was, like, more crowded than usual in a good way. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of really good movies. Maybe not movies that, like, made huge money. But we had that, like, stretch where it was, like, you had everything everywhere all at once... Um, yeah, Northman and the Nicolas Cage movie, like back to back weeks, and like they were all really solid movies. Yeah, um, I feel I feel like it's, it's a lull. It's been a pr- yeah, I feel like it's been a pretty steady stream since March because obviously January and February we were kind of in like a brief COVID period again, at least here in the yeah. states, and a lot of stuff got pushed back. But I don't know, it's felt like a pretty normal year, and then this summer has felt like a little a little less intense and just like stuff being thrown at you constantly than summers past but maybe that also giving time to sort of search out some smaller things but yeah just weird to me that this is kind of the last big thing of the summer but um this is not this is not on the agenda to talk about but it's like to, to your point of like searching out smaller stuff i watched not okay the other day if it was like a packed summer blockbuster august mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have Taking the time to watch that. I watched Fair. it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Bullet Train. Um, you and I saw it a couple nights ago. I would 
I think it's safe to say you kind of loved it. Yes, I think it is. It is absolutely safe to say that. Yeah, the the uh, the, 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 mo- the maybe the most fun I've had at the theater all year, and that includes like Top Gun Maverick and Wow, everything like just just not saying it's my favorite movie of the year, but just right. a great time, a great time. I kind of liked it too. Um, I'm maybe not as high on it as as you are. Um, I guess the it would probably take me another 30 minutes to sort of explain like the plot in all of its detail you of don't need bullet to. train. You don't need but to. the this the shortened version is a bunch of assassins all trying for various reasons find themselves on this bullet train in Japan and there are a variety of different reasons why they're there and insanity unfolds on on this this train that's just barreling through from the city of tokyo to mount fuji is that where they they kind of end up it looks like um brad pitt of course playing the the lead in this movie of a very very lovably goofy brad pitt um it kind of felt like brad pitt channeling a little bit of lloyd from from true romance in this kind of like kind of burnout assassin who doesn't really want to be an assassin anymore and is just kind of trying to like talk him use kind of therapy techniques to talk himself out of every situation but inevitably has to like get into a fight with someone or like accidentally kill someone um and then rounding out the cast we get uh brian tyree henry aaron taylor johnson um i'm pausing well i'm pausing because part of the problem with this movie is like there there's a lot of really famous people in it but i'm kind of not sure because of the marketing like who they've said is in it versus who's not like i can i'll i'll bleep this out if you say no but do you think it's safe to say like michael shannon is in this movie i guess because it was it was in a trailer like or, i, I or didn't see it, that trailer so right I, I, or is it I safe was, to say safe. sandra bullock is in this movie apparently also shown in a trailer i did <laughs> not know though i again like i i maybe i had the benefit of not like the second wave of promotion mm-hmm. for this movie i kind of didn't pay attention to so the the cameos or maybe smaller roles of yeah. some of the bigger stars were genuine surprises to me yeah, like I, I mean, some other people in it. Zazie Beats from Atlanta. Um, didn't know. Didn't know. Yeah, bad. The, the the musician Bad Bunny has an, He's an in the appearance. That's yeah. Yeah. So and and like like you said, there was this one like really fun ad for the movie that I feel like came out in the spring that was all set to like a Japanese rendition of Stan Alive and saw it and immediately texted you was like this movie looks like a blast and kind of as i explained to you and a few other of our friends after we left the press screening like kind of baffled that like now sony's strategy for the movie seems to be like putting every scene of this movie in like all of the marketing like there there was very little of this movie that was like not spoiled for me ahead of time by just like seeing ads for it on tvs at work or this one like three and a half minute trailer that ran before top gun when i saw it a second time that i was just like 
that's the entire movie. Why why did you just put all of that in there? Like I, I that that's a trend I hate is when like the entire movie is just in the trailer and it's a really long like four minute trailer. But um, yeah, th- this movie it's uh directed by David Leach, who was one half of the the duo that did the the first John Wick movie, and David Leach kind of had branched off and he did Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron. Uh, kind of dipped his toes into the franchise machine with doing the second Deadpool movie and did the Fast and Furious movie Hobbs and Shaw. Now he's back to doing an original action picture. Um, This is a big, colorful, wacky, cartoonish, bare knuckle, shoot 'em up action movie it it I'm, I'm curious to get your especially since you loved it so much to me it kind of reminded me a little bit like it's obviously got leeches like very gifted at sort of choreographing these um very visceral hand-to-hand combat sequences and sort of using various props surrounding the actors within a scene and coming up with like sometimes funny sometimes suspenseful ways of kind of like it it there's something balletic about the the choreo fight choreography in a lot of his movies um i mean he he is a a fight choreographer that has become a filmmaker and so it's no real surprise there um this movie kind of reminded me would you say it's an insane take to say that this this feels like a kind of movie that would have come out like post pulp fiction in like the 90s in that trend when like everyone was kind of trying to fight like be a little tarantino and do like let's do a kind of funny no sort of knowing action movie about like assassins and it'll be really chatty and have lots of jokes and kind of pop culture humor injected into it and it's maybe not as good as a Tarantino movie, but feels like it's it's trying to sort of capture some of that energy in a bottle. That That's just sort of like the period of movie making that I thought of the entire time as I was watching this. Your mileage may vary. See what <laughs> I did there? Again. Yes. <laughs> co- common phrase. Didn't, didn't intend for it, but there it is. Uh, your mileage may vary depending on how much of that kind of like wink, wink dialogue and attitude of the characters right is like if you it did it did it does wear a little thin by the very end like the final Mm. scene i was kind of like okay we get it but yeah the rest of the way like i was i was there i was like i need i need one movie like this a year Mm -hmm. something where it is kind of inarguably like the plot doesn't matter like it just it, like you can keep piling on whatever you want it like all these character motivations or like backstory or like twists ultimately it doesn't really matter because it's just fun it's fun mm-hmm. it's fun to look at the the people in it are very entertaining brad pitt uh i will also say a little bit of like jeff bridges big lebowski kind of like oh yeah. man shucks gee he, well, he come on man very... don't harsh my vibe Right, he is very styled to. There is a very like the dude uh, aura about like the way he's styled in the movie with his kind of like bucket hat and his like moppy like flock of seagulls haircut and his beard. Um, I I did think a lot about like 
the dude while watching him. This kind of being like Brad Pitt's rendition of the dude on screen. Yeah, and as, as much as it's, I mean, Brad Pitt is the star of the movie, but I was also maybe a little surprised, like pleasantly. Um, it's it's definitely like an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, definitely. I, I would be curious to see how much, how many lines and scene or uh, seconds or minutes on screen he has compared to Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson, who, and Joey King, who I feel like are kind of all sharing the screen mm-hmm. in terms of dialogue and amount of dedication towards like character development and how much we know about them or how much we uh, get to get to be along for their ride. Yeah. Um, Brian Tyree Henry still, I've yet to see him in anything where he is not excellent. Uh, Does Taylor he have Johnson, the belt now for just sort of like person who is just like consistently great in anything that he's in, even if it's a movie like the Eternals that I don't really like, he's, He's still good in it. He's yeah. It's it's like seeing John Bernthal. I think I said this after the screening, where it's like mm. just I those dudes show up on screen, and you're like, oh hell yeah, this is gonna be good, right? Um, yeah. It's just it's just a fun. This is this is a summer action comedy blockbuster. Like I, there is nothing more that I could have asked for from this movie. I have no complaints. Don't mark, don't dock anything off of it for me. I am all in. Can't wait to see it again. It's like, like I said, I get one of these a year. I still get kind of crapped on by some friends for liking um, Godzilla King of the Monsters as much as I did. Like that, give me one of these a year. Let me have this kind of movie. I, I just, yeah, that that that's that's all I can say. I know, I know you again don't feel as highly about it. And I, I yeah. see some of the criticisms and critiques online and I, I think the most valid for, for me that I've seen is like the kind of overdone winkiness of the dialogue. And it's like, we've seen this before you have it stretched out entirely over a two hour movie. There's no letting up on it. It's like maybe, you know, a little up its own ass. Um, so I, I see that. I just think it worked. Um, yeah, I think the other the other part of the sort of like post-Pulp Fiction Tarantino knockoff era that, that I forgot to mention is having a maybe overly clever kind of like puzzle box um, plot where like, you know, that... The P this movie this is a movie that is like like you said it's two hours it kind of felt for me even longer like I was surprised when we got out at the time we did and I was like oh that movie felt way longer than it is because it is sort of like you know every time there's a new character there's like the chapter card that comes up and you get the flashback of them and they all kind of like you know fit into the the plot in these very intricate ways. Um, that you don't see until like the end of the movie when you have the full picture of like what's brought everyone there. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can't criticize too much. Um, like I said, I, I had a pretty solidly fun time. I don't know that my expectations were that, you know, were higher more than like I want to see a funny Brad Pitt action comedy. Um, 
And I, I will kind of agree with you when you said the kind of like, I think your mileage may vary. Um, and maybe the, the best analogy I thought of today of kind of like the feeling I had at certain points of the movie of it feeling a little exhausting to me was like, you, you know, the phrase like a hat on a hat, right? Mm. Like, you know, the, this movie kind of feels like an action comedy version of like a hat on a hat. Like it's almost like weird comedy conceit on top of like weird comedy conceit on top of like weird thing. And like, it almost feels like it's trying so hard at every moment to sort of like be overly clever and be um kind of overly wacky that it, it almost feels like it's a bit, it, it feels like a little bit like too much kind of needlessly stacked on top of each other for me um, at a certain point. And so like, I, like I said, I had a pretty fun time. It's kind of hard for me to hate a movie that has like this goofy and fun of a Brad Pitt performance in it. Um, and I, I really enjoyed watching Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I don't think I've liked in anything ever for the first time. I think that was the first thing I like said to you guys is like, and kudos on this movie for at least like I thought Aaron Taylor Johnson was really fun and I don't I don't I don't know whether he's just sort of like finally honed in on a mo- movie star persona that like works for him but um I I really enjoyed him and Brian Tyree Henry's kind of dual banter in this movie but um yeah I I, I it maybe for me kind of like wore me out a little bit at the end trying to sort of like outdo itself at every moment in its kind of over cleverness over silliness at at each possible like millisecond if that makes sense yeah i just i at no point and maybe this isn't fair to other movies but at no Mm -hmm. point was i like did i care about like where the plot kind of went i was just enjoying what was happening it yes. was it was never it never like dragged for me it was it was constantly entertaining and constantly funny and so whatever kind of like twists and turns they wanted to take with the plot or character motivations was just kind of like oh okay cool this is this is this is fun we're doing this now sure let's do that like okay Brad Pitt's still here he's still all right we're going to get another like over the top ridiculous death scene while someone's also making a joke that's really funny Sure. So again, maybe not, maybe not the, you know, the fairest treatment in the world, but that was, I guess that was just like my approach to the movie. Like it kind of sets the tone very early. You know what you're getting. Mm. I think as, as annoying as like the marketing can be with, I mean, it is a real problem of just showing too much in trailers. Um, the, the movie was never presented as anything else than what we got. Mm. Like if you think that, the three and a half minute trailer is like the entire movie, but that it looks fun to you. Like that's, you're going to get that, but over two hours instead of three and a half minutes. Like it is exactly what you see in the trailer. Um, yeah. I, I was probably I even, a good way actually. Yeah. I, I was probably more, I, I think I still was surprised, but surprised at sort of like the, um, the sheer amount of story in the movie that I don't know that I would have necessarily gotten even though I kind of got the summary of what the movie was from that like needlessly overlong trailer that showed everything like still was, was unprepared of this being like the more kind of uh the stuff to the rim plot in terms of like 
us getting the backstory for every single character and and all of that stuff so that that at least sort of um surprised me i think when it when it first started um any last bullet train bullet train thoughts how do you think it's going to do this weekend do you think people will go yeah uh I'm a little worried. I mean, you know, we have the precedent this year of ambulance not doing well. Um, right. I, I, I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried. Cause like, if this doesn't do well, this is a Brad Pitt starring action, big, loud, fun action movie, though it mm-hmm. is R rated. So it's not like you're going to have a bunch of families going to see this. Right. I think I, it'll do fine. Yeah. I don't think it's going to exceed expectations. I think the audience that like, I think the audience that really digs like the Deadpool movies would probably enjoy this. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, well, I, I, I hate to sort of be like box office prognosticator and just sort of try and just go with like what, what was my just sort of gut feeling of the movie, but did kind of walk out a little bit being like, I wonder what the interest will be. Or just what people will will think of that. Um, then again, like snarky quippiness and in in your action movie seems to be really in right now. Um, at least this movie does it better than the Gray Man. Um, I, yeah, I all it needs, all, <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it gets the Gray Man audience, then I think it'll do just fine. Uh, well, um, another movie we wanted to touch on that you and I actually saw a few weeks ago. And has been briefly out in a few theaters. I don't even know if people know this is coming out. It's it's going to be dropped on Amazon Prime here soon. Is 13 Lives, um, which is a movie dramatization of the Thai cave rescue. Um, if anyone doesn't know. When, when was this? This was like a few years ago. There was a boys soccer team in Thailand that became trapped in this cave when the cave flooded. And there was this huge rescue operation involving hundreds, maybe even thousands of people um, to help get them out of the cave. And it ultimately was, you know, with the help of the Thai government and some Thai Navy SEALs, these British uh, cave rescue divers who volunteered to fly out there and go into these like horribly dangerous conditions in this cave to bring these boys out and ended up getting everyone out alive or, or at least like, uh, unfortunately like um, one Navy SEAL died during the rescue operation, but all of the boys sort of miraculously were rescued. And it's this incredible true story. There's a great documentary on it that came out last year called the rescue. Um, now it has been adapted into a Hollywood, an inspirational Hollywood drama directed by Ron Howard and starring Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and uh, Joel Edgerton as as some of the the cave divers. Um, you and I saw this a couple weeks ago. How How is it sort of marinated in your mind now that it is kind of like out in the world for people to see? It's, I guess, grown on me a little bit more in hindsight than like when we first left the theater. Like it's a, it's it's Ron Howard, so it's it's competently done. Yes, uh, I I still stand by my point that I made to you right after, where I was like, this was like the most nineteen ninety eight movie ever. 
And I think that's to its benefit for a certain audience. Like it's a crowd pleasing movie. Like, um, and the people who stream this on Amazon prime, like my mom is going to love this. Your aunt is going to like your, you know, everyone's kind of older relatives are going to love this movie. They're going to, they're going to be standing and applauding at the, at their TV when it's over. Um, and you can touch on, you know, the kind of the test screening and how, how it was supposed to be like this big if you if you if you want to go there yeah. i find that really I've, interesting i've seen some some people say they were sort of suspicious when that happened um of like i've seen some people sort of theorize that that was maybe a a story that was planted a little bit mm. but um i don't i don't want to you know alert i don't want to spend too much time on on something that i can't totally confirm but um yeah, there there was the sort of suspicious kind of early news about it, like the highest test scores in in recent movie history. And this was sort of built up. I think it was going to come out in the fall. And the expectation was, was like, this is going to be a big, noisy Oscar movie. And then now it feels like it's just sort of being dumped in early August and just sort of thrown on a, a streaming service. Um I, I've the, had kind of go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, like the first the first thirty minutes of the movie, I was like, oh no, oh no, this is gonna be like one of the worst movies of the year. Like this is bad. And then once it gets going, and once we actually get some of these cave diving scenes and like stakes are on the line, that's that's when it kind of starts picking up. And I, it, it is you made the you made the point, and I don't I don't want to step on on your point, but I just I want to make a kind of like larger point of you know, you would kind of said like if you were a director and were like offered the the proposition of like shooting a movie where you had to do cave like action scenes, you'd be like, no thanks. But right. <laughs> cause it is it is obviously very difficult. And right. in no way is this an apt comparison, but I think to its credit, Mission or uh, not not Mission Impossible, Top Gun Maverick rightfully gets praised for like how much they trained us to understand what the mission was and like what it looked like, what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, what was on the line, how it was going to go down. And that is very hard to do in this situation. But I didn't think Ron Howard did a particularly good job of giving us kind of any spatial awareness. Yeah. Where we, not even necessarily like where we were while we were in the water, because that's obviously very difficult. But even like when they were coming up for air and like in certain key positions of the cave of like, how far in they are or like it was not there was not a whole lot of creativity or even really much of an effort to let us know or really remind us or drive home the point of like how deep these guys were and how long it took them to get in and out and they had to do it over and over and over again so that said at the end of the day crowd pleaser i think like people who stumble across this on Amazon are going to be like very happy. I think, I think I said to you after, like, this is like the CBS, like primetime television crowd, like CBS is always number one. And this is the kind of movie that like, again, like my mom is going to love this. You're, you're like, your relatives are all going to love this. I do think it, could we, could we not have waited like another 10, 15 years to make this movie? I'm not saying Ron Howard can't make a movie now or we can't do anything. This, this, 
real life story happened in 2018. So it's kind of hard to like, even if you don't follow the news closely, you have some knowledge of this story. And I knew without really knowing the story very well, I knew that all of that, like all of them survive, which is great, obviously, but for like a stakes of the movie, it's like, you know what happens one diver dies, and I, I remember that as well. I couldn't I couldn't remember if it was one or two. And that's obviously that that does raise the stakes because you you see how obviously dangerous this was and how anyone could have died at any time, and it's miraculous that more people didn't die. But it's like, are, do we have to keep making movies that like of real events that just happened? Would I it not have benefited from like 20 years of like not remembering what happened? I think it's also extra unfortunate for this movie that that documentary i mentioned just came out like less than a year ago i think it was like fall of last year that documentary came out and i had seen that and even before i saw that documentary i think i knew that they got the boys out but i had no awareness of what what the actual rescue operation was um and i i won't reveal if you didn't follow that story when it was happening um kind of how they got the boys out but that that's almost the craziest thing about this story and i think it just sort of does i think a little bit of a disservice for the ron howard movie that this better documentary that to go back to points that you mentioned earlier i don't think this movie I don't I don't think Ron Howard quite gets over the 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 handicap of this movie of so how do you do how do you do these re- these rescue sequences that are set in like dark claustrophobic environments where the 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 whole reason that is like it's challenging to get people out is cuz you can't see and you can't like move around <laughs> in these caves and agree with you that I don't think this movie quite is able to sort of vi- there's attempts at it every now and then like a map will come up showing you kind of like what the layout of the cave is but this is something that i think the the rescue documentary does so much better is sort of giving you an understanding of the geography of the cave um what the sort of environmental factors of the cave why it is so difficult to kind of like get in and out of it and why just kind of like any random, not even like that, it's even difficult for the Navy SEALs. Like why it is so impossible for anyone beside these like six divers, or I forget how many it is exactly, but this very small amount of people in the world who do this regularly can get in and out of there. Um, and then I think even that documentary does a better job at, again, I'm trying to be vague to kind of beat around to me what's the most shocking part of this true story, but like, I feel like the documentary even did a better job at sort of establishing the real life or death stakes and how insane the the plan ultimately was to get these boys out. And I kind of remarked to you when we left the the screening, it's just that there's there this movie's missing kind of a catharsis, I think. Like even when they get the boys out, you know, in the documentary, and I and I feel like how it should feel in this movie is this this euphoric sort of like, oh my God, I can't believe we did that. Like, you know, rush of emotion and feeling overwhelmed by 
these people who came together to do this impossible task. And the way it kind of gets played out in this dramatized version is kind of like, all right, let's, uh, let's look around and see if six, thir- 12, thir- oh, 13. Oh, I guess we got everyone. Is everyone out? Oh, no. One person. Okay. Oh, oh, he's out now. Okay, cool. Great. Good job, everybody. Like that's kind of the feeling of, of this, this, this movie seems to be working in this mode of like, professional people doing it, it is funny i'll backtrack a little bit to like i i was describing it to someone the other day as like a movie a competently made movie by professional people about people who that, that comes across as a movie just about professional people doing something really professionally well and it shouldn't it should be this like incredible like you are not going to believe this story is true movie and it doesn't play out that way and i think it it that the the movie is almost i think i've had a little bit of the opposite reaction for you of like i left the movie a little bit mixed on it and it's actually gone down for me in the weeks mm. since seeing it of just feeling kind of emotionally empty after after seeing it and ron howard can do that i mean ron howard is not like a great auteurist like ron howard is a like steady hand studio director but like ron howard has done like good versions of the based on a true story survival tale that you know the outcome but you're going to get swept up in the emotions of are these people going to survive i mean that that's what apollo 13 is and like that that movie is is really engaging and and fun to watch and you get swept up in how are they going to get these astronauts back to to earth safely and there's none of that here even if i you know i love colin farrell i love Vigo mortensen they're not bad in the movie like there's th- this movie's just missing kind of like an extra umph to it to i think really send you out of that theater feeling like you you have been a part of this incredible um experience another kind of just like random thing is uh did you also know that there is a second movie that is coming out this month that is like a dramatization about this incident and then there's also a tv movie that's coming out so there's like three versions of this story that are coming out right now and there's already been this i think great documentary that i think really perfectly establishes for you as an audience, the stakes of how impossible this feat they were able to pull off is. And this movie just, it, it, it can't rise to the occasion for whatever reason. Yeah. And I, I think your point about the documentary giving up, giving the stakes of this very real thing mm-hmm. and how, absurd of a rescue mission this this ended up being and how miraculous it was that they pulled it off that's a very that's a very tall task to pull off in a dramatization of again these these this real story this really happened um and i i did not know that there were that there were other movies and a show come like 
why, why, why are we doing this? What, like, can we, can we not make, like, is it, is this why this is coming out now? Like they're rushed, <laughs> like they're just, they're like here, we need to release, release this now before the, the, the flow of all these other movies of the same story <laughs> that already a documentary was made. And it, this, this happened in 2018. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Um, I just, I, I don't understand. I think, I think my, maybe like appreciation of the the competency of how it ended up was kind of me going from such a, like the low that I was, that I was feeling mm-hmm. for the first 30 minutes of like, Oh no. Oh no. Like, like I was gonna, I was expecting to like come out of the theater and be like, this was like when I took you to see Moonfall. <laughs> like you, you owe me one. And then it ended up being like competent. Um, and so I think like, I'm kind of riding that wave of like feeling better about it than I did when I first went in. Cause I, I really was like a, a clean slate going into this. Like mm-hmm. I knew the story. I didn't even know this was, this movie was coming out though. And we went and saw it. So I really had no idea what to expect. I don't even, I don't think I watched the trailer and um, yeah, I will say like our theater to, to go, to go to like the audience, like the crowd pleasing aspect to it. Like our theater, I think like did the, the kind of, raw raw applause thing at the end yeah i i can see if you have like if you didn't even follow this when this was happening like if you have zero knowledge of this i think that is the the only way you can maybe get some sort of reaction about it if you have like no idea how this this played out at all and and maybe that was true for for some of our audience also i'll say uh not to not to just make it about our specific audience. A lot of a lot of laughter for a movie that is not funny. Um, there's there's some there's some moments of levity, uh, particularly between Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen when they're not diving. But just a lot of weird laugh, like a lot of places where they're la- and like there's one part in the, the the that's in the commercial and based on the way that it is, is aired in the commercial and that's edited there's one of the, when they, when they find the boys in the, in the cave mm-hmm. and one of them says like, can we, can we go home now? Right. It is not at all edited or like cut in the trailer for it to be like a punchline or like funny or like it is serious. And like our theater laughed and it was mm-hmm. very weird. It was not even the weirdest part that they laughed at, but like, that was like very uncomfortable to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I guess I just wanted to like vent and like express that this was very, very weird and kind of deeply upsetting in a way. Like, I don't know if it was just uncomfortable, like laughter or they like genuinely found some kind of humor in it. Like, Oh, ha ha. Like wh- I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what was funny there. there Again, there are moments where it is definitely supposed to be like, Oh, okay. This is a moment where like, we're supposed to, take a breath and just like just this kind of like human interaction between these divers or you know kind of Vigo gives a look and it's oh mm-hmm. haha funny because we know his character has a bit of an attitude right anything with like rescuing the boys not funny like it's serious <laughs> I don't know if that's just like a failure on the movie's part and maybe it's not the audience's fault like did you find any of that funny like I don't I just I it's it's deeply weird to me yeah, I think I was probably just so utterly bored throughout most of the movie <laughs> that I couldn't even I couldn't even muster an, an unintentional laughter if that's what that was. <laughs> I think I like 
kind of like threw my hands up a couple times of like, wait, what? Like, what are we doing? This yeah. is weird. So I just, yeah, that was, and I will say marketing for this movie, the one nitpick that I wanted to make that I is texted that it's you non-existent? That's yeah, that like this, this, this definitely could, especially with the fact that there are other movies that are in like a TV show that you just said that are coming mm-hmm. out. Like if th- this is one of those movies that like, if we didn't end up seeing, we could just like next year be like, we would say is like a Morbius type thing where like it didn't actually exist. Right. Um, but also when I saw the, the commercial for this the other night, it said in select theaters and Amazon Prime soon. But it didn't give you any dates, didn't give any indication where in theaters, when in theaters, when it's coming to Prime. I don't know if this commercial was airing in multiple countries or throughout North America and it's on Prime at a different time in Canada than America. And I was just like, I I was like, what? Like, this is, this is going to be streaming. So ostensibly a lot of people are going to be able to see it, but you're not telling them when it's available. And it's like, it's coming out soon. This is not like Oppenheimer where it's like sometime next year, even Oppenheimer, the, the Christopher Nolan movie, I think at the end, it's like, here's the date, <laughs> but it's like you, you, but you know, you leave some wiggle room of like, okay, this could get delayed or, you know, there could be like a, a, right. a schedule shuffle from the studio. No, this movie I think is in select theaters this weekend. And then like on Amazon prime later this month. And they're just like throwing this commercial up and like not telling you when it's coming. I, and like the audience for this, I think is probably a little bit older than someone who would just like pick up their phone and like Google, when is this movie coming out? Like they probably right. like, want their their nephew or like grandson to tell them Mm -hmm. it just that just man that baffled me that just like and it like that grinds my gears too because it's like Mm -hmm. you that is the easiest thing in the world and you are what like tell people when your movie's coming out and where they can see it yeah that just sort of seems to to feed into this the perception I've, i've i've just sort of gotten of it 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 seems like for all the kind of like insider hollywood hype about about this movie that i was hearing like months ago it 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 just sort of seems like amazon who you know this is a an mgm movie but amazon obviously it owns mgm now it just sort of seems like this actually is just sort of getting dumped and isn't really part of like the fall strategy but in any case well, let people see your movies and tell them where and when they can see them. I that that should not be hard. I'm sorry to end on such a <laughs> such a rant of of vitriol here, but it just like that that just I I just I don't get. We started with a story that I don't understand with the Warner Media stuff with Batgirl and we are ending uh-huh. with with a with promotion for a movie that should be well liked I think among people who end up watching it but you're not telling them i i'm so confused this is such a confusing episode well that's a perfect circle for us to to go in daniel thank you for for stopping by and look forward to hopefully discussing toronto international film festival with you and several other film inquiry people uh next week on this episode we're going to continue to kind of just sort of like catch up on stuff happening uh this kind of randomly in the movie world 
going to catch up on some titles that are just randomly coming out. There's a new Predator movie that I've seen that's going on Hulu. Uh, probably catch up with some horror stuff like Bodies, 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 which I'm seeing tomorrow. And the Sundance Horror Breakout Resurrection. Um, so still some stuff kind of coming out. But um, yeah, it, it, it we got like a few quiet months, I think, before September and the fall festivals and Oscar season really heats up. So stay tuned on the latest.